Being a disabled parent is a rebellious act. Disabled people should have the same right to parent as anyone else. But often when we decide to start a family, we are met with judgment and discrimination. We are questioned rather than supported. We have to push up against the medical system, which is particularly problematic for disabled people. And we have to confront how ableist society's model of parenting is, even in the 21st century. Take notes of that music, everybody, because that music is very important to today's episode. Um, we're very excited to tell you who our guest is. But quickly, before we get to her, um, a couple of updates. Merch, 30% sold. Really? Yeah. Because that's good. Tell me what colour you think people are buying. Uh, white or black T-shirts? Oh, I'm a big black guy, but I know people love white tees. Absolutely not. Oh, good. The black ones are... I'd say most... Like, I'd say like 90% of our orders are black. But the, I think we should... The black ones are like, they're both sick and we would love you to buy both. But the black ones are fresh. Like they look awesome. They're very cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and the, the little animation of you and I, that is our logo, but on t-shirt, looks really cool. Looks good. Yeah. yeah. And also bit. shout out to the people that made them. Jam the label. Because they uh, make accessible products, which is very cool. Uh, fromyourpocket.com.au or hit the link in our show notes if you want to get yourself an accessible t-shirt. I just couldn't say that brand for sponsors reasons. I knew who they were. Just letting everyone know. <laughs> Link in our show notes to get yourself merch before it goes. And thank you to everyone who's bought them. We've already been – it's so cute watching Emily, my partner. She's at home. She's got a little packing station. That's so cool. We've got little listen-able stickers. Lot, um, we've gone all out for it, so uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. And uh, obviously there's a bunch of accessibility features on there. You can see that on the website. Um, Noah's episode last week. Huge. Huge response. Noah's getting the amount of comments on – our Insta about Noah, but also his humor and the way that he communicates. But what a ripper dude! And what did he? What did he? I sent him a message. He sent me something about. He's I've so never seen a guy more excited about a podcast. He, hang on, except I've, for us. I've got to read. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah. I get this. Do you know what I get off Noah? How many? Oh, yeah. listen, how many listens now? Okay. I said I put up a post saying Noah, you legend. He goes, thanks, buddy. Do you know that I'm the most popular episode on Listen Able? You can thank me later. <laughs> Because so he asked me how many in, in like he's about 48 hours in. He's like, do you mind if I ask you a question? I was like, oh, God, where's this going? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, of course, Noah, what's up? And he goes, how many listens have you had? killing it, bro. And I told him you had 8,000 listens in 48 hours. And he's like, what? And he's got like – 24 hours later, how many now? Yeah, and he's got um, new followers. Go check him out. He's such a legend. Check out Noah. But not only was he uh, great and his episode is doing incredibly well, thank you everyone for listening, um, but he's also inspired other people um, who are nonverbal or parents of nonverbal children to come forward and share some of their stories. Um, in reference to Noah's la- episode last week, we got an email from Carla who wanted to voice use her voice as the mum of Orlando – Um, and as the speaker in her son's story. Hi, Dylan and Angus. My name's Carla, and I'm the mother of Orlando, who's a gorgeous young man with severe autism. Orlando's nonverbal, and so it's obviously hard for him to spread awareness about what he's capable of, as well as his challenges, on a medium like your podcast. So I thought I'd share with you some of what I think he might like people to know. And I think if Orlando could talk, one of the first things he'd say to people is, don't underestimate me. He'd probably also say I'm intelligent and please don't talk about me as though I'm not here. And when Orlando was younger, he spent a lot of time in his own world, apparently oblivious to his surroundings. And I thought this meant that he wasn't listening or understanding. But if I talked about him to somebody else without including him in the conversation, he'd get really upset. 
So this nonverbal communication showed me that not only was he listening, but he could understand and he actively didn't like being discussed as if he wasn't there, which is totally fair enough. And I think that often people believe that nonverbal means unable to communicate, but it's really important to understand that behaviour, which includes things like getting upset, is actually a form of communication. And Orlando communicates in lots of ways, like he leads us by the hand to something he wants, uh, vocalises, moves away from a situation he doesn't like, or he puts his hands over his ears if something's too loud. And he also communicates sometimes through playing songs or parts of a movie on his iPad. So don't be afraid to talk to a nonverbal person. Just because you won't get a verbal response doesn't mean that it won't be appreciated that you're actually holding up your part of the conversation. So I guess the most important thing to keep in mind when you're with someone who's nonverbal is that they're a person like anyone else who needs to be treated with respect. So please don't underestimate someone because they can't talk. They're just a person like you or me. Thanks, guys. Really love your podcast. That is amazing. Man, I love that. And thank you very much to Carla for sharing Orlando's story. But also, like, you know, to for, that's what we're doing this for, to, to amplify the voices of other people and, and other stories about disability, which is why it is. So big ups to Noah for being so open, but also everyone getting in touch. Yeah, thank you. Now, we uh, we cannot stress enough. We have recorded the episode that you're about to hear. It's probably going to be the most invaluable 40-odd minutes of your life. And should we say? Huge call. Definitely of your life. Probably your life. Definitely of your week. I have had a kid. Definitely of your week. Yeah, of the week. Biggest, most memorable part of your week. That's a big thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, Yeah. we'll take that 100%. But also, I mean, the bowl of uncomfortable at the end. It's really worth sticking around for. We hope you enjoy this episode as we let our next guest introduce themselves. Hey, thanks for having me. My name's Eliza Hull. <laughs> it's good to be here. Now, Eliza, if we, we thought about getting you on when we launched and I, you would have been more so just like a musician and talked about that, but since we've got to know each other and we'll talk about that a bit more, like journo, big advocate and written your own book, it's been a massive couple of years for you. I know, I'm tired. <laughs> it's huge, but it's all good. It's all good. It's fortuitous that we didn't get you on at the very start because you were one of our first ideas because it made sense because the music that we loved, we listened to it, we're like, this fits so perfectly. Let's get Eliza on. But yeah, we probably, I mean, we might have just had you back um, to promote the book, but uh, it does seem like the perfect time. Um, as we record this, uh, the book has come out today or yesterday, but let's talk about the reason, one of the reasons that you're here. We've got this. Yeah, it's out yesterday. I can't believe it. So many years work, really. It started out as an audio series with the ABC. And at that moment, I really realised that it was timely because the amount of just emails and correspondence that I was getting where people were saying about time, like why has there not been any representation about disabled parents? But in the back of my mind, I always wanted it to be a book. And I'm so glad that it's out. Uh, And it really... Is, is due to my need for it. When I was pregnant seven years ago, I just felt like there was just nobody out there that represented disabled parenting in an authentic way. Everything out there was like the parents, a hero, or um, they saw it as like the kind of deficit that it was problematic that the disabled parent had had a child and uh, it was a burden for that child. And so 
I just was really just alone in my decision to parent and realised that it was time that I make that change in the world. So before we get into it, what's in the book? There's 25 parents in there and they identify in different ways. So there's parents that are deaf, parents that are blind, parents that are autistic, parents that have chronic illness and I guess some people that, yeah, don't don't even identify with the word disabled um, but Generally, the common tie is that really inside the home is just like any other home, but the actual problems lie in society. So when you go to the hospital, there's just obvious discrimination and also just attitudes out in society. It's one of the things that you speak about in the book is, uh, and it's something I fear every single episode is some people like to be um, disability first language or they like to be person first language and you identity even, first or identity first or person first, yeah, yeah. yeah um so you did end up calling it stories by disabled parents but once again how long did it take and play on your mind just to come up with that I lost so much sleep <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, seriously it really really rattled me it affected me because I really wanted to accurately represent a large population of people. So I ended up just ringing as many people as I could, reached out to a load of um, disability advocates in Australia and overseas. In the end, I chose identity first language because it's about being proud. It's about saying, yeah, we are disabled and it's an identity in a community that I'm really proud of. And I guess I feel like we don't really need to remind people that we are people. A long time ago we did. Mm. There was that, you know, back in the day it was the disabled, it was very othering or special or handicapped. And so the human rights movement came about and they were like fighting. Well, no, we're people. We're people first. Now I I see it as like we don't really need to remind people that we are people. Mm. And um, so it's, it's about being proud. Not only are you a musician, a mother, an author, an advocate, but uh, we haven't even got to the fact that how do you identify yourself with your disability? Yeah, so I have a condition called Charcot-Marie Tooth and I've had it since I was five years old and what had happened was I just started falling over at school and my parents at the time didn't know what was going on and so... They took me to many hospital appointments, which was really hard because it was just like people constantly talking about you and not to you. And as a young child, I was pretty confused what was going on. Uh, At the time, they diagnosed me with something that I was going to die from. So it was very scary. And then after like many appointments, they finally diagnosed me with Charcot-Mari tooth. And throughout my childhood, I was a wheelchair user many times during primary school, high school, and yeah, it's, it's disability looks very different day to day and I have visible parts of my disability. So I walk differently. I fall over. I find, you know, I can't lift my legs up. I have to use my hands and arms to lift my legs up. I have pain, fatigue, um, cramping, but there's also invisible parts of my disability and it is degenerative. So it will progress and it'll get worse, but, um, I don't know. I just, I've come to really love my disability and I'm just like, I I wouldn't want it to be any other way because without it, this book wouldn't exist. I feel like it actually, you know, influences my music. I sing differently because of my disability. I play keys differently because I have muscle loss in my hands 
Um, so it influences everything I do in my parenting as well. And I just, I just couldn't imagine not being disabled. I've only known you later in life where you are a proud woman with a disability. How was that journey for you? Was there times when you were younger that you struggled with it or was it always something that was quite easy for you? Oh, there's been so many times where I've struggled with it. I think as a musician, I hit it. So anytime I'd meet record labels or managers, I would make sure I'm sitting down and hide the fact that I walk differently. I'd heard your music before I knew you were disabled. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yep, legit. Obviously, I booked you to play um, Ability Fest and I was like, oh, I didn't know she had a disability. Like, I thought I would know that. Interesting. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And it was because I just didn't talk about it. Yeah. I hit it. I got my bandmates to lift me on the stage but I made sure the, the curtain was pulled because I can't get up on the stage. Um, Is that because of the unconscious bias you felt like you might have or because your own personal or both? It's just to do with lack of representation. Like how many musicians do we see with disability? How many disabled people do we see on TV? I didn't feel represented and it just made me think that I should hide it. And I remember being in high school, um, I was a wheelchair user for a large amount of time and I just so badly wanted to fit in. And so I decided at that moment that when my parents went away, I would have a party without them knowing. Nice. Next minute, here I am and the party's out of control and an axe man comes to our house and smashes all our front windows of our house. Just It was just the most random. Wait, just a random. What's a random, random man with an axe? Is that, a, is that something that happens in the country, an axe yeah. man? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm scared. Of axe I, I was living in Wodonga. Okay. So. I was going to say. Because you were noisy smashed your windows. There was a large amount of kids, you know, young kids having a, a large time. You said it so nonchalantly. Yeah, next man minute. An axe. an axe man <laughs> just starts yeah. smashing the windows. Sorry. Yeah, one. my parents got called because the police came. They the police chased this this man. Um, they didn't find him, but yeah, it was just this random guy that came to the house. But I, I guess I'm telling the story because at that moment I was so scared, and I was there sitting in you know my wheelchair and just thinking far out, like why did I have this party? I had this party because I didn't fit in. No one wanted to hang out with me at the time. When I, whenever I was, um, you know, sitting on the oval at school, the guys would take my wheelchair and like take it down the hill and you know make fun of it. And there I was stranded on the oval without my wheelchair. And I guess, yeah, it just felt really terrible. Like I just felt alone at that time and felt like I needed to have a party to be cool. <laughs> so I guess, I get it. you know, I did. I hid it for so long. Was music a good remedy for that to like, help you on your journey to being proud of who you are or was it more people in your life? Like what was the big turning point or instigator? It was just by chance that when I was five, turning six, when I started falling over and developed my disability that I discovered singing. And it was by chance that a teacher yelled out and said, Eliza, do you want to have a go at singing this song for the localist, Edford, and I won. What was the song? <laughs> it's Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. It was Time You Kangaroo Down. So no, it wasn't. <laughs> could have been worse. Oh, not, like, yeah. Not a lot worse, but not could have been worse. Not a lot worse, but I'll take it. And, <laughs> yeah, it was it was so lucky. And I see number five as my lucky number because that's when I developed my disability and it's when I started singing. And singing was the way that I could escape at high school. I used to go and sit. Uh, in the music room and just play piano and just express all that kind of emotion that I was feeling. It was seriously, yeah, 
my saviour. We need to talk about the theme song because there is such a fascination uh, for myself because I listen to it so often. Uh, Can you tell us about the song itself, what its original title is? Was there an inspiration behind it? Oh, cool. I don't know the answer to this. Yeah, the song was called Pause. It's an unreleased song. Don't don't pause the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, kind of funny, right? (laughs) How how ironic. That's so funny. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, unreleased song. And so, yeah, never seen the light. Probably never will because it's landed here, which is really nice. Not fishing for it, but do you, because I know you listen to the podcast sometimes, do you like hearing the song? Yeah, I cool? love hearing the song. Yeah, We get a lot of compliments about it. Got a massive kick, actually. Awesome. Yeah, yeah because I remember, because we met each other and we needed someone to make it. And you sent me a bunch. We, we had a bunch you, of You sent me a bunch of samples. Yeah. Yes. Was there an inspiration behind it? Uh, well, it's like pause. It's like um, it's like a love song, really. Like, I want this moment to just stay forever and kind of vibe. So I guess Look that's kind Dylan's of... holding my hands. holding hands next. I love you, bro. Thank you, man. I, I never want that moment to end. I love no, you. Yeah, well, there you go. Pause. It's quite fitting, right? What about when you give up a song and then it gets sampled into something like that everyone knows and then you can't use it anymore? Was there any like, you bastards, I want it back or not? Uh, slightly. Like yeah. when I was... <laughs> the, uh, yeah, when I've been making a playlist of the demos, I'm making a new record right now. I was like, oh, that could have been something. Because <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Well, the great, the great thing is, obviously, we've got a great relationship with you. We love the song. And so um, I actually went back through, as Eliza knows, but I'm not sure if you know this still, but I went back through the files that you sent me all those years ago and I found the Got Some podcast theme song, which is Eliza Hull. No way. Ready for the fall. That's right. Awesome. Go. Yeah. Got some and Listen Able, both of the theme songs are, are made by the incredible Eliza Hull. Obviously, you're an author now, that's what we're talking about, but can we just talk music industry for a bit? Because I just want to talk about representation in the music industry because I know it's something you're passionate about. If I'm thinking about where people with disability are the least represented where compared to like able-bodied people are everywhere, it's like sport, obviously it can be better, but it's already been done, but film and music. I always say this. There's never any artist with a disability. Everyone goes, yeah, Stevie Wonder. Oh, I yeah. go, okay. There's Stevie Ray Wonder. Charles. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's always – but think yeah. about it. Think about all the artists that you know. We always consume music all day, every day, and maybe they do have a disability, but a lot of people don't disclose mm. because of a fear of unconscious bias, discrimination. But more importantly, it's just hard to get a gig mm. <laughs> sometimes. What, what's been your experience in there? I remember being a teenager and watching the Arias. It was when Killing Hardy won that oh, year. Oh, we are, we are. <laughs> that we are. <laughs> and um, just watching Ella Hooper and Jesse get the award and they literally had to go down like one load of stairs, up another load of stairs and down load of stairs. And I remember just sitting there and saying, okay, well, that's not possible for mm. me. I can't get upstairs. I can't get the award. And it actually is like that the messaging that you tell yourself of not possible for me. And it, that really feeds into a lot of your choices. Uh, so I think it just was that kind of thing of like, how do I even get on the stage? And as I said, like, there were many times where I hit it. I have to get my bandmates to lift me up on the stage. For many um, wheelchair users, they just actually don't even choose it as a career. And so we're losing all this incredible talent because there's just no access. Um, the Arias are listening though. And I think that they are going to have a ramp on the stage because the Grammys this year are going to have a ramp up onto the stage, whether there's a disabled person that's nominated yeah. or not. Because when you are a young person watching the Grammys or the Arias, you go, yep, I'm going to be included. 
Going into disabled parenting, um, I think is needs to be the focus of this episode because we we get so many messages from able-bodied parents with disabled children or, you know, um, disabled parents who are unsure whether they, you know, we've had Ashley Morton in the past as well, who was a paraplegic after a car accident when she was a, a child and, and she had kids um, from a wheelchair. Um, so we've had stories before, but people really love this space. And I thought, I, I wondered if you would, I mean, we urge people to go get the book and I'm sure they will, we've got this, but could you read the first paragraph of your section of the book? Because I think it sets up something really important. Also, the first words in the whole book are pretty good too. That's Dylan's endorsement of the book. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Being a disabled parent is a rebellious act. Disabled people should have the same right to parent as anyone else. But often when we decide to start a family, we are met with judgment and discrimination. We are questioned rather than supported. We have to push up against the medical system, which is particularly problematic for disabled people. And we have to confront how ableist society's model of parenting is, even in the 21st century. So I want to know what ableism as a parent looks like to you. Uh, Ableism looks like the moment that I went to my neurologist and told him how excited I was because I was going to think about starting a family. And he'd been like my support person for ages. So I went to him for any advice and tips. And he looked at me very confused and said, "Um, are you sure? I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that you can be a parent. Why do you reckon he said that? You couldn't carry it or you didn't think you could live up to being a good enough mum? I think all of it. Because of my disability, I do fall over regularly. I fall over every day. And I think he thought that I wouldn't be able to do it, that I'd – yeah, holding a baby would be too hard. Uh, and I guess parenting is physical, but I think disabled people, like we're creative. I have to constantly think, how am I going to get inside a building? I can't get upstairs. So I think, okay, I have to look at ways to get around things. So we always have to be creative and flexible. So it, we're actually set up to be parents because parenting, you have Pro- to be all of those things. As well. yeah. yeah. All of these parents face ableism, face discrimination. Uh, you know, the two deaf parents that are in this book, when they decided to have a child, they went into the hospital and, and they gave birth and then that child had a hearing test, which is um, a general screening test that happens. They weren't given an interpreter throughout their whole hospital stay, so they couldn't understand what the nurses were saying. And then after the hearing screening test, the nurse was just like overjoyed and excited and smiling and she's like, went to shake their hands and like, congratulations, they're not like you. They can hear. That's really hurtful. And often, you know, for instance, there were two parents that are blind. When they went to hospital, straight away the social workers called. Even though now they have a thriving, bubbly young child who's just incredible, um, but straight away it's like, no, nah, they can't do it. Um, and for parents with intellectual disability, of those parents have their child taken without any supports. Yeah, unless their family can support them, they're gone pretty much. Exactly. Almost 100% of that. And that affects, you know, your very close family as well, Dylan. Yeah, for sure. So Chantel's sister, Steph, is intellectually disabled and so is her partner, Chip. And if they'd have a great family, obviously we'd always care if they had a child. But um, if they didn't have that support network, like if they met, you know, people that live together or work together that have, you know, non-physical disabilities that had a child like that, it would it would be 
gone, taken. Yeah, absolutely. And Heather Smith is in this book and she had her child taken because she didn't have the family support. Then there's um, Jacqueline and Gary who have intellectual disability and luckily because they had that family support, they were able to fight it in court. And the judge ended up saying, I am deeply sorry. You did not have to be Mm. here today. Child protection just, yeah, they are ableist. It's going to be a very important book. The other one that blew my mind, complete ignorance, and I've been in this space for three-plus years here in Constant Stories Weekly, is sterilization. Can you can you please tell people about that? We've never ever mentioned that on this, this podcast, is, not because we didn't. Gnarly. So still today in Australia, um, young girls and women are being sterilized without their consent. Uh, their choice to parent is taken from them, stolen, and with intellectual disability. Not always. Not always. Yeah, no. it's like you know, it could be any. It's like yep. spine bifida or whatever. And any disability. Yeah, I thought it was the same, but it's actually broader than you think. And, like, there's other countries that are far ahead of us and abandoned. We're so behind. And it's generally done in a secretive way where parents basically to sign their children up to be sterilised without their consent. I had no idea. I think of us as, like, forward-thinking Australia. And here we are with a law that, I mean, I wouldn't, I'd hate to meet the doctor who's actually doing it because it does seem like it's a 9 p.m. booking. Like, that that can't happen on the books. I don't think it is. Like, you can get it done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And parents obviously consent to it, right? They push for it, yeah. yeah they push for it. But it's not, not Dr. Nick Riviera on the Simpsons style out the back. It's like you can legit get it. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that actually blew my mind. Um, being pregnant, you know, obviously you fall over every day, as you said. You get a huge front, heavy new accessory. Um <laughs> For someone with unsteady footing on a good day. That's a funny way to put it. I like that. I like that. I was really like that. <laughs> That's like, the best one I've ever heard. Same. I was like, what's he talking about? Uh, how do you adjust to this? And were there any falls and what places, if you don't mind telling us where, where that happened and how did you feel, you know, physically is one thing, but I'm sure the emotional repercussions of that were bigger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, d- I fell over when I was pregnant a lot and uh, – Probably the scariest time it happened on the road on a highway and I was, yeah, very heavily pregnant, fell over on the, the freeway and I can't get up off the ground. Luckily the cars stopped and everyone helped me. But, yeah, that was an extremely traumatic experience. Uh, with my second child. I was like, you went and did it again? Yeah, <laughs> then I did it again. The second child, the falls were not on the road, more in the house and – Last night I launched the book um, in Castlemaine and all those GPs were there uh, that helped me through those times. So every time that I ever fell over, I would go and get the mm. baby checked. But the baby's protected in amniotic fluid mm-hmm. and, yeah, there was no risk. Has there ever been times that you felt like a bad mum because of your disability? It's a great question. Thank you. That's why I've got Thank you. podcast. <laughs> I do one every four episodes. I have a great question. It's mostly Angus. And, and can I tell you what he's done? He slightly wheels himself away from the table as like how proud he is. Like, <laughs> as in like he's signed out now. Yeah. I love questions that I've never had before. Yeah, because yeah, you, you get the same ones as often. So I'm yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Yeah. I think because of my disability, I can't lift up my children right now. And I've got one one-year-old still. And that's really hard, especially when he just wants to be carried. He mm. just wants that um, emotional support. And they and see another mum carrying their child. Exactly. That's what I'm worried about as well. Yeah. 
I'd so, be like, oh, I can't go to the beach with you. I'm worried about that. Literally, I can barely wrangle my dog, let alone a child. <laughs> yeah. Like it's going to be hard. You can do it though. Yeah, I'll do yeah, it. I'll do it. Get back here. <laughs> I, I can't wait for my kids because they're going to be like <laughs> me but and Chantel and be like snarky sna- as. They're going to like go to the top of the playground. I'm like, we're going. They're like, no. Cool. <laughs> yeah. like, what do I do? do I, I'm going to read this book. Are we going? Are we dead? Well, yeah. come, come, get me. come get me. I'm like, I can't get you, little shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it is hard. It is hard. Yeah, those moments, yeah, they're pretty shit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but then, like, I always flip it around and, and I always look at a positive and just think, like, yeah, I've made this house more diverse mm-hmm. and we speak about disability and I have got children that are really kind and inclusive. Isabel is your six-year-old. She's obviously grown up around you with a disability, but what kind of, you know, and I've got a one-year-old as well, what can you teach me or other people listening with kids who at the moment are able-bodied? We don't know what the future holds for Indy um, and we'll support her and be there for whatever journey life takes for her, but what have you learned for me that could help me in my education of her for disability? I just think like speak about disability and have picture books and books about disability and treat it like a positive. Use the word disability, disabled. I mean, my daughter's really proud. Like she, when she first noticed the way I walk, she was like, mom, like you're amazing. You like, you walk like a penguin. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I do. I I love penguins. Yeah, I love penguins. I was like, yes, this is awesome. But ultimately she always says like, I'm proud to have a disabled mom. Uh, when we were in the kindergarten line, a parent and a child were asking, like, the, well, the child was actually, why do you walk like that? And the parent knows me. We've spoken about disability, but this parent said, oh, she's been in a bad accident. And I just thought, okay, I'm not going to go into this right now with this parent and child. Why did she do that? Because it's people are afraid. Yeah, yeah it's people. Just it's just easier. But she knows. That's yeah. so strange. People are afraid of the word. And so, but then as we're walking in, like my daughter was just like, "What? Like you're disabled? Like yeah. why? Why are we not talking about this?" Is that that's so interesting as well? Especially that she knew because you do speak about that in the book. Is, do you think she thought she was saving you the pressure of saying that you're Maybe. disabled as well? Maybe. Like she walked away from that going. Eliza owes me one. You no, know I, what I reckon mean? she still would have walked off going, oh, I don't know what to do in that situation because I haven't been exposed to it. Right. You know? could, could be either way. Yeah. Could be. I, there's a classic example. Deborah Kennehan is she has a chondroplasia, um, which means that she has dwarfism. And two examples in the book. One is when she went into a bank and the stranger was a mother and child and the child said, why is she so small? And the mother said, because she doesn't eat her vegetables. Oh, yeah. And oh. if you don't eat your vegetables, you're going to end up like her. Brutal. And Deborah was like, I do eat my vegetables. I love broccoli. Like, yeah. I love broccoli. <laughs> get like, get stuffed. And then another example was her and her daughter, because her daughter also has dwarfism. They were out at the park, and a child and mother came up again. The child said, Why is she so small? And then looked at her daughter and said, Why is there so many of them? And this parent said, well, because we're all different. Like some of us are short, some of us are tall, you know, some of us are wheelchair users, some of us walk differently. And, you know, diversity is what makes this world beautiful. Deborah, do you mind if my son asks you a question about it? And the conversation unraveled and in about 30 seconds the child noticed that they had puppies and didn't care anymore. They were just like, 
oh my God, there's puppies. And I think that that when you step in, when you're curious and kind, because kids are curious, uh, it's okay. I think that if you tell your child, Shh, don't look and you know stigmatise it more, it can actually be problematic. Dylan, very early on in our podcast, one of the early episodes, one of the things you said was like uh, if somebody, you know, you, you saw a kid who walked past and said, what's wrong with him? And then the parents grabbed his arm and said, don't, quick, get him away. Smacks and then, them, yells at them. And then the fear is then built in that kid to not ask or to be scared of someone in a wheelchair or whatever that disability is. And that is so true because that that's the experience. Yeah, it, deters, it deters them from being curious, which is the wrong way to go about it. Um, have you ever experienced your child getting bullied about the fact that their parent is disabled? Not yet. Like, Are you ready yeah. for that? Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah. It'll know, definitely happen. I mean. yeah. It's going to happen to, me. Happen to both of us. Yeah, because like I, you know, as I said, like during high school, um, even when I wasn't a wheelchair user, I had people um, walk behind me and mimic me and laughing. And so, of course, like when teenagers get to that age, it'll happen. Do you reckon and that'll hurt you or you'll be ready for it and you'll be okay? I think it'll hurt. Yeah, if I'm completely honest. I'm trying to think if I'll get hurt. I think I'll be both like hurt and be like, eh. I, I wouldn't be uh, hurt both. personally, but I'd be hurt for my child that they might be hurt. Does that make sense? I couldn't care less if they did that to me, but – yeah, that makes it, and then that would actually make me really sad because I'd be like, my kid's sad for me. And it's like, no, don't be sad for me. I'm fine. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. We'll get you back on what happens and we'll have another episode. Yeah, it's um, Micheline Lee is a wheelchair user and she's in this book and she was really honest around the vulnerability of shame. And so she was um, taking her child to school and then suddenly he was like, I don't want you to walk me into school anymore. Kid said that. Yeah, like to the to his mum because he was ashamed, and wow, then that's a ripper one to unpack. Yeah, and that's then hard. Micheline fell out of her wheelchair once, and um, her son just kind of watched on and didn't come and like say, "Are you okay, mum?" And she just speaks so wonderfully about that shame and about the feeling of like my child is embarrassed of me. They, I'm just thinking about that. That if my kid said, "You can wait around the corner, dad." Because you're in a wheelchair, that would hurt for sure. That would hurt for sure. But then all of a sudden he goes, that's not because you're in a wheelchair. It's because you're driving around in a Kia with your face on the side saying, Australian of the Year, exactly Dylan right. Alcott. Go, G'day, kids. Remember me from 2022? I was like, do you know who your dad is? <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to Do you know who your dad is? <laughs> oh, God. No, no, I would never do that. Now, obviously, the book is out. We've got this. You can grab your copy uh, everywhere, right? But is there a place that you liked? Is there a place that we can get the better profits? ElizaHull.com? <laughs> no. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, how much? How do we get you the commission? Yeah, where's, where's, the, where's the best commission? Honestly. Screw and post. Who's, <laughs> who's Black Ink? They don't get yeah. any money. <laughs> no, just anywhere. Like, it's audiobook and it's also, yeah, in any good bookstore. I've got, uh, before we get into the bowl of uncomfortable, I have, I'd like to read my favourite sentence of your story from the book. What's a sentence? Sentence. <laughs> I'm going to read you my favorite sentence of your story. Um, People may judge me for choosing to parent, but who better to make this decision than someone who's lived with my disability for decades? I'm proud of who I am and I wouldn't change a thing about me. I want to instill the same pride in my children. That really really spoke to me as well. I think that's, you know, a beautiful closing words um, in the last little bit of your part of the book. How long did it take for you to get to that space? Well, I have a 50% chance of passing on my disability. Oh, we'll get to that in the bowl of, my, of uncomfortable. My, I'm bowl of uncomfortable. Don't you worry, the bowl of uncomfortable question anyway, will be covering no, it. No, just do it now. Just do it now. Uh, you knew there was a 50% chance of passing your disability on your kids. How much did that play on your mind when deciding to become a parent? Because they go hand in hand. Yeah, it hugely played on my mind because I know how much discrimination I've faced. 
Like, I've, as I said, been laughed at, stared at. People come up to me constantly and pray for me on the street. Um, and the world is disabling. Like, there's just so many physical barriers. So, yeah, like, I struggled with that decision because I didn't want that for my kids. But ultimately, like, as I say in the book, I've had my disability since I was five. I would not change my disability. And it's it's impacted my life in such a great way. So, of course, I'm actually the person that can make that decision and make it with lived experience. And I'm so glad that I chose to, to step in and have kids. We would never ask you uh, a question and it's your own business about that, but are you getting the test to find out? Do you not care? Will it come naturally? How do you approach that? To test for my disability is really invasive. So as a young person, you, I'm given electric shocks um, that really hurt. Uh, so they're extremely painful. I vividly remember going through those electric shocks and just that sucks. really it was, I was hurting and I was crying and I've pretty much decided that I will just let it unravel naturally um, and not test them. I don't know yet, but that – but that would, yeah, that's po- it's very possible that they either one of them have it or both of them have it. <laughs> I got a bowl. Oh, as well. oh, this bowl's, this is a big bowl. I feel really uncomfortable asking this. Uh, uh, anonymous. I terminated my baby when I found out they had a disability and I've never in the past seven years not felt weighed down with the guilt. Do you think of me as a monster? Uh, do I think of you as a monster? Mm. Um, oh no, I don't think that you're a monster. Uh, I think that I'm very pro, I'm pro-choice. I think that we all have the ability to choose whatever we choose to do with our bodies. I don't think I could say that uh, forced sterilization is wrong and then ch- tell somebody that they've done the wrong thing with their body. It's an interesting kettle of fish because they can figure out more disabilities earlier now so more people are getting choice. But the way to counteract that, which is what we both just said, is have greater representation everywhere where you're like, oh, my God, it's actually not that bad. Exactly. That's how you change perceptions because if you think what it is, what your parents would have thought potentially back in the day, that's harder because they had a different perception of what disability is. Exactly. Uh, we should point out, uh, we of course, you can get the book. We've got this at all good bookstores. Um, the link is actually in our bio as well. So if you're listening to this, just click below in the show notes and we'll get the link. But we are giving away a copy on our Instagram uh, right now if you're listening to this. Signed copy. Signed copy, done. Bloody better be. We'll I'm get a, I've got a, my signed copy waiting. But we also don't want to give it away as like a freebie if you are um, somebody who you believe that these stories are going to directly affect you or, you know, it's something closer to home, then let's get those stories heard. One thing about this as well is this is obviously disabled parents having kids, but this will really help able-bodied parents of disabled kids. Exactly. Because then you won't realise what you can do. Like if my parents had a manual like this, even though it's reversed, mm-hmm. That's right. amazing. Yeah. Right. That's when I read it. I was like, oh, this is actually not just preaching to sale parents. It's actually flipped. And even like my parents who still worry about me having kids with reasons, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like they get something out I of it. I think that's really important. Yeah, Absolutely. It's a book for everybody. Yep. We love it. Eliza Hull, thank you so much for coming on Listen Able. Was- Bloody love you. Thank you so much. At listenable underscore podcast, that is our Instagram to grab yourself a copy of that book, which is signed by Eliza Hull. Should and I just- sign it as well? Sign it, of course. The strain of the year. Oh my no, god! No, just because it's, I've wrote a, I wrote one of the praise words. I just are you going to put your signature next to <laughs> no, your little no, four no, words? No, actually, hang on. With your new signature, we spoke about this on your episode because you're now AO yeah. instead of OAM. Yeah. 
do you write Dylan Alcott AO? I've never write that, bro. I'm never in OM or AO in my life. <laughs> I don't. You, but I'm supposed to, but I don't. Oh, good stuff. Maybe when I'm 40 plus. I good feel like stuff. it's good stuff. I'm too young. I feel like a tool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of it, obviously, but I feel like a goose. That's true. Yeah. Um, I can also write AOTY as well. AOTY? I swear to the Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Thank you to Eliza for coming on. Of course, we are back again uh, with the next episode and our next guest. Here's a sneak preview. I don't like being in a wheelchair. Um, that's what it comes down to. And I, I do look down on myself when I'm not competing and training. And I mean, I have the belief in myself and the will to win when it comes to sport. And I believe that I can do it. But outside of all that, I do struggle with my mental health. Um, I, I know that I can't live the rest of my life in this intense nerve pain that I've got. And if there's no cure then in the future, then I don't know what the future holds. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Bye.